Welcome back to Ravens Recap. We hope you enjoyed two weeks ago's episode with uh, Ken McCusick going through and making our all-star Ravens team. If you looked, they released the results. And uh, I think overall, we're, we're kind of pleased with it. Mason was upset that he got screwed over. And we said, hey, Mason, you want to come on the show and, and let us know what we should have known? And uh, I mean, we all picked him, but the fan base didn't. But uh, no, no reply back yet from uh, Derek Mason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're holding our breath on that one. But if he does, you know, that would, that would, be, uh, that would be fun. I will say it's not too surprising, though, that someone like Mason didn't make that list, I think, as we were talking about. There's some recency bias there. It might be some younger fans who didn't watch him as a Raven. And obviously, Bolden's going to get in there because of the Super Bowl run. And Steve Smith, very outspoken, very flashy player. So he's going to uh, win a popularity contest over a guy like Mason, who's very fundamental receiver and does the little things really well for a team with a lot of bad quarterbacks. So I think that was the biggest one that really stood out. I will say the one, the most surprising one for me was Tony Saragusa getting a nod over a guy like, uh, like Kelly Gregg or Sam Adams. But again, he was a big character back in the day. So that may have won him over, over his hard uh, knocks, hard knocks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was basically the star of hard knocks. <laughs> I mean, we talked about Jermaine Lewis probably should have gotten the nod over Jacoby, but, you know, Jacoby, obviously, he didn't have as long of a Ravens career as Jermaine did, but obviously, he still had a huge hand in that Super Bowl year, so I get it. We'll just still give him that vote to Jermaine, though. Yeah, you already heard his laugh. Chris is not available today, so we asked Correspondent Kfish to make his uh, third or fourth appearance now? Uh, I want to say third, but... uh. Yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, should be another fun one. Yeah, guys, this is episode 55. 55! And we're really excited just to kind of lay back, and this time we're going to discuss some of the news around the NFL. We got a little bit of news, but then also talk about some of the great divisional battles of the past and some of the divisional battles we see coming up in the future. But let's start with, uh, you know, today we're recording on Wednesday the 15th, tax day in the in the U.S., and Judon did not get his big-time deal, so he'll be playing under his $16.8 million franchise tag. No surprise, really, but uh, he was trolling on Twitter, acting like he might be getting a phone call. Did you guys see anything of even him really, or anybody hinting that it was even close? No. I didn't, but I think I also wasn't looking for it because it just seemed like such a foregone conclusion that there's other guys that the Ravens value more that they want to sign to long-term deals than him. So I, I would have been highly surprised if, if the Ravens had been able to get him them to work out something with him before the deadline. I pretty much agree. To me, it feel, feels like they didn't even pretend like they wanted to sign him long-term. Like, I, I wonder how, like, how many conversations they actually had with his agent, if any. Yeah, I don't see it happening. I think Judon knows that he's on this roster this year to go win a Super Bowl, and then he can get his payday elsewhere. There's just too many players here that need to get paid, and I think it's a. I think he's excited to play with such a high quality team and at you know a very nice rate. Sixteen million is no joke. He'll be making something similar in his uh, probably actually less money when he actually signs long term. So, uh, and then with COVID in the the changing salary cap dynamics going forward i can't imagine people getting signed like judon although derrick henry got his contract with like i think 26 million i get saw guaranteed 
So I guess some contracts happen today. Yeah, he might have been the only one. Yeah, so it was also um, another guy who got signed was uh, Chris Jones, defensive lineman for the Chiefs. He was pretty vocal about how he was going to sit out the season if he didn't get a deal, and Chiefs got him signed, so that's good for them, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I saw that today, and I, I I forgot that he was having that dispute, but actually, now that you bring it up, it, it comes comes back that that's the case. Yeah, and who knows if he would have sat out or not if he hadn't got the deal. Guy who wasn't on a franchise tag, though, who got a, a pretty big payday today, who I think I'll be interested to hear what you guys think about it, because I thought it was interesting timing that the Browns did it now, was uh, Miles Garrett is officially <laughs> right. the highest-paid defensive player in the league right now after signing a guaranteed $100 million deal with the Browns today. <laughs> so, Wait, $100 million is guaranteed? That's what I'm reading right now. Holy cow. Dude, the guy literally got suspended indefinitely. They quietly brought him back and he gets rewarded with $100 million. Get out of town. Yeah, but I mean, that wasn't like a torn ACL. Oh, understood. But like, oh, God. That's just like, <laughs> it, it's not the, it's not what we want to teach our children. <laughs> I saw some posts on Twitter that said now he can hit Mason Rudolph in the head like 2,000 times and still have money left over. <laughs> God. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting signing because he's obviously a talented player. Like he's thirty sacks through his first three seasons in the NFL, and only one of those is a complete season. And it's the Browns. You got to hold on to to what players you can get. But at the same time, I, I do feel like outside of that incident, I don't recall him having any character concerns. That being said, that instant was egregious enough. You would think that they would want him to prove himself a little more that that's just a one-time thing before signing that deal. But again, we're talking about the Browns front office, which is questionable in other ways as well. I don't know if that really buys them that much leverage in the long run, just like a one-off thing like that for like arguably their best player. So like, I don't know if they could have really been like, all right, we're drawing the line in the sand. You have to like be good for a year oh i mean i wasn't didn't mean necessarily from a leverage standpoint for how much they're going to sign him for i guess i meant it more from when you know that's going to be a smart financial decision yeah we'll we'll definitely see how that plays out for him i hope it's horrible um next up (laughs) next up the contract we're all waiting for might shape the future of how lamar gets paid mahomes got his monster deal now it looks like a 10-year deal and it looks like it's going to be, you know, record-breaking half million dollar or half a billion dollar deal. But it's actually similar to like when Flacco got signed for the biggest deal ever for a quarterback. Uh, it's really just a six-year deal. You know, it's not quite this mega deal that will last forever. It probably will get restructured along the way. But it's still kind of cool to see, uh, you know, such a monumental deal get made, and for obviously one of the best players in the NFL. Yeah, I mean. He's got uh, some job security, that's for certain. <laughs> it's just crazy if, to think about all the money that's getting thrown around with these guys. I mean, we saw last year with the baseball contracts that Bryce Harper, Machado, and, and Mike Trout got, and now you got Mahomes here making baseball money. It'll be interesting to see if Lamar is able to get a ring this year, how his deal will compare to that. If he gets a ring this year, I imagine it'll be more. I mean, he's a running back. He's a quarterback. 
<laughs> no, I mean, even just with like how contracts typically work, if everything's basically the same, which it would be if he got a ring, then you then you automatically just get some kind of five percent bump up. I mean, that was like they get that bump up even without the ring, so it'd be interesting. It'll be interesting whether he wins or not, because like uh, remember we gave Flacco the large deal and then Matt Ryan got his like a week later, and it was it was more just because it that's how it works in the NFL. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I am scared of what it will mean to the rest of the team when we have a guy that huge caliber, but I'd rather have Lamar Jackson on the team than play against him. <laughs> we, we try to win a Super Bowl, right? Yes, sir. I couldn't imagine them letting him walk, even no. even with the number. They'll just they'll just eat it. They gotta do it. Well, guys, I hope that you're excited. I know I was excited. The NFL has solved COVID nineteen. It's not even a worry anymore. They came up with these face shields to protect players, and uh, I I mean that's it. That's all we needed. We're good to go. The season has been secured. And the only thing that was going to stop him was jersey swaps. So they banned that. And, you know, the jerseys, you can't you can't swap them. That obviously would pass on COVID, not touching each other at the line of scrimmage. None of that will actually pass on COVID. Just the jersey swaps. We're safe now. <laughs> and definitely not the spitting that just accidentally <laughs> happens on the line and the tackling and <laughs> just being in not six feet apart. And- exactly. I will say, like, I saw with that face shield, like, some of the, the science behind it, and I'm like, you know, it, it, it's, it, it could be worse, right? Like, <laughs> I think it will somewhat help, but I don't know. They're just going to have to make sure they're really vigilant. It's going to be super-duper interesting. The thing about it, though, I, I, I haven't read uh, super detailed into it yet, but from my understanding, though, it, it would be optional. I don't think that the players association is going to mandate that the players wear it yeah i saw um jj watt apparently said it's like a it's no deal for him like if if that becomes a requirement he's just going to sit out interesting i think i think you'll have a lot of people that will say stuff like that yeah and i mean at that point it's it's you almost got to wonder is it worth the nfl putting all that money into if if not even a majority of players wear it is that really going to make a difference if it's just you know seven players on the field at a time have the have the mask in oh i didn't realize it was gonna be optional that's sad come on guys (laughs) like i I just feel like it's like yeah okay they're doing something but like it's never going to be enough to stop like this this game is inherently one that like fluids are flying yeah right and and even if you do have the the face masks on if a if a guy is on the sideline has his helmet off even if it has a mask in wipes his nose that's that's sniffling in you know late december and then he's an offensive lineman and grabs the defensive lineman's jersey uh, on a holding penalty next play is on the field that face mask didn't really do anything there nope do you guys think they're getting through the season oh god we don't talk about that on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it's a fair thing to, to talk about a bit. I mean, it's the elephant in the room to anyone who's listening. And gosh, I mean, I who knows at this point? I mean, it, it's if, if you asked me the same question back in May, I'm quite honestly shocked that we're still having as high a cases as we are. Granted, I know that, that certain 
populations of the United States might have it under control, or at least have less cases right now than others. I was not expecting that we were going to be having conversations about this, the safety of the season at this point, especially when it looked like numbers were going down. But yeah, I don't know. You're already seeing some players back out in MLB and uh, NBA. With NFL, I'm pretty sure that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers starting left tackle uh, pulled out already, uh, which that's a, a pretty big pull out considering he's going to be guarding the favorite quarterback of the you know the, the referees of the NFL um <laughs> and and Alec and oh, Alec as well it. yeah bullshit <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know it's kind of crazy so like basketball they have players pulling out and they're like they're setting them all up in Florida at the Disney resorts and like to me, that seems best case scenario, right? They they can't interact with people and they're all in that, what they're calling the bubble. And people think that, like players are thinking it's too risky to do that. So like football's not even going close to that. So I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if way more football players end up opting out. Yeah, I mean, I've honestly been in the, the camp of like hopeful because... I think the thing that I hold on to the most as a Ravens fan is just we recognize how good this team looks, right? Like, we know how close we were last year. We know the improvements we made in the offseason. We know that no one's getting younger. It's one of those things where you're, like, really trying to have this window happen. But, yeah, like like we've talked about, you know, the, our country's not doing as well as other countries. You know, game is under control. And I lose less and less optimism every day. Uh, or I become less and less optimistic every day that this is going to make it through. One can hope. I think they're certainly going to try. That is, I would be surprised at this point if they don't, in some capacity, try. But uh, we will, we will see if it goes through. I guess the only way I see it not them not trying is if things are just like, like apocalyptic, uh, and they could be. <laughs> you know, like if things surge out of absolute control everywhere. Well, I guess we'll see then. But I think they're going to try. The Ravens announced that they're going to have 14,000 people in the stands and they're not doing season tickets, which to me honestly feels like the first of maybe many announcements. <laughs> like, yeah, I think they announced I, today no training camp for fans. They did, yeah. Which honestly, I think they've been moving towards that anyways. There's been less and less access during training camp. And I think uh, in a perfect world, if they, if they really could have it their way, they wouldn't have training camp uh, fans. But yeah, they did announce that today. The Eagles announced that they're not going to have fans at all in 2020. So our uh, our field trip, which even back when we talked about it, felt uh, optimistic, is definitely not going to happen. <laughs> so yeah, well, I guess we'll stay tuned. I would love to hear what listeners think about this. I think it's an interesting topic. Uh, I know, like we don't a lot of the shows uh, around the NFL are not necessarily going too much into it because I think at the end of the day, like. We all love football, and we would love to see it happen, and we'd love to see it happen safely. And I think um, I definitely have concerns about that, the viability of that. And I know I certainly don't want to just selfishly, you know, help them go out there if it's not for their their well being at all. Like if if it does feels totally unsafe, then obviously it's not our decision to make. But big sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was yeah. It's an interesting time to be. A fan. I will say, I if there's NFL players, I mean, even if it's Lamar, who I don't think is going to opt out based on his off-season activities, but 
let's say even if Lamar and uh, decided to opt out, you know, I I really couldn't judge a, a athlete for for stepping out at a time when you know still we have questions about this thing, and you don't know their life, you don't know what they're going through, but. Yeah, it is going to suck, especially with how much the Ravens have built up this roster. Especially if you have uh, unbiased publications out there. I'm seeing some articles that have said the Ravens have the best roster makeup currently in the NFL. I've seen that on ESPN, I believe, and I think there was an article on NFL.com that said the same. So we'll see. Everyone listening, do your part to make sure this virus stops so the Ravens can get a Super Bowl. Yes, please. If for no other reason. <laughs> you have to find a way to reach out to Florida fans. <laughs> and uh, Hey, Lamar's from Florida. Look at, you know, we'll let him we'll, we'll share the Super Bowl trophy with the state of Florida if they get COVID <laughs> in, you know, in check and we're able to get the Super Bowl. Hey, I uh I hung out with the Orlando Ravens flock when I was down there for the Tennessee game. That was a lot of fun. They're a good group. They definitely have some really big Ravens fans down there, so they can definitely get the word out. Lastly, the Washington football team has decided that they're going to change their their name. So I do enjoy at the press release was like our sponsors, fans, and community in that order. And I was like, yep, don't even hide the reason that you're doing this finally. (laughs) You also had to appreciate that the heading of that memo featured the old logo and, and name pretty noticeable and large, basically the size of that first paragraph at the top of it. That's what I was thinking. It felt like I'm going to get one last shot. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. That's a really good point. <laughs> it didn't, that didn't even cross my mind, to be honest. It, it was interesting reading that uh, memo of them explaining how they're no longer going to use that name, and then you, your eyes just wander to the top, and it's just plastered at the top. <laughs> very, very large, but... Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one. I'm will say the couple fans I have talked to who are uh, fans of that team are within our age range and have been wanting this for a bit for this name to be changed. I have seen online, though not actually talked to anyone with this opinion that this is terrible and they'll no longer follow the team. It's interesting. I don't. I, it's it's really hard to for me to to say what I would think if the Ravens or had a name that was filled with such controversy but i don't know as an impartial observer i felt like the discussion of using native american imagery for a team was kind of was a separate conversation than the name i mean if you think about it when else in american society do we hear that name anymore except with relationship to the to that football team (laughs) right it kind of was kind of you know kind of made it a little obvious what the what the answer to the debate should be but Again, I'm not a member of that of that fan base, so I uh, can't really comment too much. Yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked if Ravens fans were so um, enamored with the with the name that like it would be really mad that if we changed it. But I mean, compared to the Redskins, I guess we're a newer franchise, so I mean, we haven't had the team as long. I guess I would be bummed if like the Ravens changed because it was a it ended up being controversial down the line, but uh, it wouldn't be something that made me stop watching. Well, it is actually kind of interesting now that I think about it. It is sort of the the Ravens we're seeing what it is kind of down the line is how Baltimore obviously was the Colts until '83, and 
we've now adapted the Ravens and now is at, at the city is, you know, completely won over with the new name, but you know, in the early nineties when the team had a new, new name, cause Ursay wasn't giving up the Colts name. I can't remember too much cause I was too young to know how easily the fan base, uh, warmed up to the, the new mascot. Yeah, I would hate to be uh, ageist, but I, I'm willing to bet there's a there's a discernible line at some age where like people on the high side of the line are like, oh, they're the Baltimore Colts and they'll always be the Baltimore Colts. And then, you know, people our age and lower probably like, yeah, it's a name. All right, guys, we're ready to talk about the divisional battles of the last 25 years. Before we jump into the ones we're looking forward to. Sounds good. Yeah, so as you guys have known, we've you've been following along with our most recent episodes. And if you haven't, well... Welcome. You've got more great, uh, great content to listen to for the rest of your week. We've already done an episode where we looked at who we think are the top 10 most likely Ravens to stay for the majority of the upcoming decade on the team and we've talked last week with Ken about who we think would be the all-time Ravens over the past 25 years uh, inspired by that poll that was put on the Ravens website Uh, so this now we're looking at going back kind of to that first topic and we're looking at who are the players that we think will be around for a bit more on the Ravens and what are the matchups we're going to be talking about with from an individual player standpoint with the other members of the division um, so to start with that, like we did for that show where we looked at, okay, who are the guys who were around the most for the 2000, 2009 decade, 2010 to 2019 decade, going down memory lane and see what is were some of the great positional matchups, uh, in Ravens past, not really in an order, but just some of them that come to mind. And the first one I, that we had down here on the list, we're throwing out a big throwback, Ray Lewis. Obviously, huge in the franchise's history versus uh, Eddie George back those days when the Ravens and the Tennessee Titans was a big divisional matchup. Those two guys really got into it, and who can forget that uh, that time that Ray Lewis stripped the ball from Eddie George for that touchdown to clinch that AFC divisional uh, title game. So that's one of the ones that you look at, and that's like kind of the matchups that we're talking about tonight. Yeah, they have a huge mutual respect for one another. I enjoyed listening to the episode of uh, Everyday Greatness with Ray Lewis, where he talked to Eddie George again. He was actually uh, his second guest on the show after having Deion Sanders on. And they talked a lot of, about uh, kind of their upbringing and uh, what it was like on the field and how the game has changed. Uh, so definitely give that a listen if you haven't checked it out. I've been falling a little behind on him and Tori's podcast the last couple of weeks, but uh, still kind of a cool show to check out. I was going to mention, I, I, I see that you have a list, or you put under the Ray Lewis, like, um, Ray Lewis versus that guy, and I, I did want to mention uh, one that had been memorable for me. It, it really wasn't, a, you know, a matchup per se, but uh, it always pops up, I want to say, like, every couple of years where uh, Chad Johnson tried to block Ray Lewis and just uh, got obliterated, and then they have him, like, mic'd up. And uh, he's like, was that Ray? That was Ray. <laughs> That's a funny, funny clip. Like, we could go through really a lot of guys back in that old AFC Central Division. Um, 
I, I remember Mark Burnell was get was uh, interviewed once on his uh, his playing with against Ray Lewis, and he, <laughs> Burnell said he always hated playing against Ray Lewis because during a play, Ray would be always in his ear, just like talking trash, and then uh, in between plays, he would just come up to Burnell and just be like. How's the kids doing, Mark? How's how's it going back home? Just completely <laughs> play with his head <laughs> while he's out there. He was doing the the Andrew Luck between plays. Well, Andrew Luck between plays, but then just you know just chewing him out when the, the game was actually going on. So <laughs> I hadn't heard that one, but that's that's hilarious. But yeah, I mean Ray versus. Burnell and Fred Taylor on the Jaguars. Uh, Ray versus McNair versus the Bus. Gosh, yeah. I mean, we could keep go. We could do a whole podcast on on Ray Lewis and those battles with the divisional rivals. Man, next up on our list is an iconic one. I know we probably have all maybe even owned pictures that have uh, Terrell Suggs demonizing Big Ben with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, one of our biggest rivals and. You know, when Suggs was chasing after his sack totals, it was uh, two times a year he had the opportunity to knock down Big Ben, who's classically difficult to bring down. I think uh, it's definitely a great matchup. Shouldn't the matchup be Terrell Suggs versus Big Ben's nose? (laughs) I think that was Nada, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Nada. Oh, then whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Big sad. Suggs, Suggs probably uh, broke uh, Loftusberger's nose before, too. Just wasn't as epic, probably, as not as that. That one was, man, I haven't seen a nastier one than that one. I do love this one. I added it in. So, Peter, I put in uh, Joe Flacco versus Pittsburgh, to which I say fine. But can we talk about Joe Flacco versus fashion? What an ascendancy this guy had. <laughs> I mean, you look at his rookie photo. <laughs> he basically had a unibrow. And then he uh, adopted the Fu Manchu in the 2011 season, and uh, but his hair really hadn't, you know, improved. And then he got uh, in like you know 2015, he really started having like that nice clean cut uh, haircut, a little bit longer comb over. And then he, now he's like full like beard and got the hair going on. I heard Dennis Pitta had a big part of his uh, fashion renaissance. Yeah, looking at the picture of him in the Broncos jersey now, it's it seems he might have peaked around 2015, and now he's on the the downswing. <laughs> I mean, I think we all can agree that Joe Flacco peaked around that time frame, <laughs> just in general. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we were uh, joking before the sh- for the show with the Fu Manchu Flacco, which is uh, definitely worth a look if you if you don't remember that look. I think he debuted that on was that the Sunday night Thanksgiving night game against uh, the Niners and I think he got interviewed or, or either by the newspaper on the air I can't remember which he was saying that he was trying to get the team to to all get the the Fu Man shoe and only Dennis Pitta and Sam Cook went along with him the whitest people on the team and Sam Cook probably only went around with him to to help them save face like <laughs> 50 plus on the roster you got three people that's not a not a, not a solid uh percentage yeah flacco uh flacco always whenever he tried flacco tried to to make a trend it always seemed like he had to explain it yeah i was starting to wonder is that like one of his one of the few times where he was out outward with his leadership because they always you know mentioned he was joe cool and he was the quiet leader 
It's pretty sad if this was one of those times <laughs> where he was trying to rally the troops. <laughs> right? Not the one. Uh, I would have to say this is this uh, this Fu Manchu is probably one of the many reasons uh, Ravens fans picked Lamar over Joe for the for the team. Oh gosh! Oh man! <laughs> it was a close race from what I from what I saw in the article. It was apparently the closest vote. I will say that. We'll see what happens. It looked it does look like Lamar is gonna have an excellent career, but hopefully Ravens fans never forget that Flacco did get them a Super Bowl because you know, there's a lot of franchises who can't even say that. Yeah, I mean personally I went with Joe for my vote. I think even with Lamar's success right now, Joe's still our most successful quarterback. I mean all fans remember the Kyle Bowler years and then Oof the the years where we were just bouncing quarterbacks around and just kind of running someone out there and just hoping back to the divisional matchups though while Flacco versus fashion is a, is a very intriguing topic <laughs> Joe Flacco actually spotty as his regular season record may have been uh always seemed to bring it against Pittsburgh I mean you think about that game in Sunday night in 2011, he had the winning touchdown to Torrey Smith. Also had a winning touchdown pass the year prior in Pittsburgh to TJ Hushmanzada. One of his few good games in 2018 was that uh, excellent performance on Sunday night football. Uh, and overall, he had a really good record against Pittsburgh for his career. Although maybe he wasn't so good against Cincinnati, he, he did always uh, bring it when it was time for the game against Pittsburgh. Yeah, and a lot of those games that he lost, it just, you know, it was it was always seems like it was whoever had the ball last. You know, there was a handful of games where it always went down to the last possession. And even the, the Torrey Smith catch wasn't that uh, extremely late in the game. Oh, that was like in the last 30 seconds, I want to say. Yeah, it says, uh, I'm looking at an article now, he beat the Steelers only once in three tries at Heinz Field. But I mean, uh, that that stat seems kind of misleading because it always seemed like we were, we were in there. Wait, what? But, uh, Flacco definitely played the in Heinz Field more than three times. In the oh, sorry, I skipped the in part the postseason in, in the playoffs. Yes, yeah, yeah, in the playoffs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, yeah, the, that win in 2014. The game in 2011 was close, although Flacco was definitely a big reason why the Ravens lost a hold of that game in the fourth quarter, and then the. The first game was was his rookie year, and and even that game, although Flacco didn't play particularly well, they hung in there until that uh, unfortunate pick by Paul Amalu on that play where McGahee just got knocked out. So, flawless Flacco was. You can ne- at least never say that he didn't come to play against Pittsburgh and in the postseason. Well, then another divisional matchup of the past that we had here on the list was basically just Ravens running backs against Cleveland. Obviously, Jamal Lewis had the, the two huge games, monster games, over 240 yards in both in 2003. It's crazy to think about that. In 2003, Jamal Lewis had that 2,000-yard season. Basically, a quarter of his yards that year were against Cleveland. But it really hasn't just been Jamal. Ray Rice has had, had a lot of good games against Cleveland. Um, even Justin Forsett in his not-terribly-great year of 2014 had like 140 rushing yards, I want to say, in that week five matchup and buck allen actually had his one of his best games as a raven 
in that Monday night game where it was basically a preseason matchup for both teams. But yeah, it doesn't seem to matter who the Cleveland defense puts out there. The Ravens have been able to run against them every, pretty much every year. Yeah, I mean, that just aligns with Cleveland being terrible and being Cleveland. I would, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to say our running backs weren't good, but when you can say Buck Allen had a good game, I, I lean that more towards Cleveland is bad, not Buck Allen is good. Man, I just remember that last Cleveland game was, um, I believe it was like the last game of the season, right? when he got the 205 yards. So like, we were just like, Oh man, is he good? Or maybe it was like the second to last game. It was second to, la- but, second to last. Second to last. Yeah. Yeah. But he like, yeah, cause he just tore it up again. Cause you're like, Oh man, like <laughs> he, uh, we need him to make some leg room on this game. You know, like, like how much can he get? And he got, you know, two Oh five. Oh man. And then the, uh, what was it? Two ninety five The other game. So 500 yards total, just absolutely bonkers. Uh, absolutely bonkers the way that he played that season and just absolutely tore him up. But you know, Cleveland was just such a bad team for so long. That's why the Ravens running back had such success, <laughs> <laughs> but now the front seven's actually pretty good, right? You know, that's like what we're worried about. Um, are they good? Did we have a problem running? I don't remember. It feels like football was 10 years ago. <laughs> the thing is Ravens had no problem running about against basically anyone. Right? <laughs> All right, well, for time's sake, we won't talk about Chris McAllister versus Chad Johnson or the Ravens secondary versus Heinz Ward, but those are also pretty memorable matchups that Ravens fans can research on their own time if they want to go down memory lane because we're going to look at the future. What are the Ravens' biggest potential division matchups going forward? No, NFL versus COVID does not count. Hopefully (laughs) that won't even be a thing in the coming months, but, you know, as we discussed earlier, we'll see. If we're talking about what are some matchups that are going to be around for a bit, I think to start off with, going back to one of the guys who we had in the top three most likely to resign with the Ravens is left tackle Ronnie Stanley. I think matchups with him against TJ Watt of the Steelers is going to be something you're going to be watching for for a long time. Both those guys, were they the same draft class? They might have been the same draft class, but uh, TJ Watt is... um, having a, a pretty similar path to stardom that his brother down in Houston has had. And Ronnie Stanley is right now the one of the best, if not the best left tackles in the NFL. So that's looking like a monster matchup for years to come. Yeah. I would say I, I expect that one to go on for a while. Cause uh, it seems like the Steelers don't like letting pass rushers go. And, and I agree. I don't think we're letting Stanley walk out the door anytime in the next 10 years. So. I, I do agree. I think that'll be a good matchup we get to see year after year. That was the second one I had on my list. Obviously, you know, Ryan Stanley is only one year older than uh, TJ Watt, both cornerstone players of the team. So I totally suspect that they'll be going after each other for quite some time. My number one, I'm surprised you didn't mention it. Maybe as your number one, but I foresee Patrick Queen versus Joe Burrow, former collegiate teammates, now divisional rivals, uh, being an interesting chess match going into the future. And I'm kind of curious to see, you know, if they both turn out to be really great players, it might be like the Ray Lewis versus Peyton Manning that we all enjoyed watching that chess match. That's interesting. I guess, I mean, yes, that's very interesting because they were teammates, but um, I think that one will take a little bit to flourish. Because, I mean, when Ray and Peyton were going back at going back and forth, Ray was commanding the defense. And I just, I guess part of me wonders if they'll give Queen 
the the reins that are, that quickly. I mean, they were they were happy with letting um, Chuck Clark have it for a while. They let um, Jefferson have it. Like I don't think. I think back in the day they used to used to think of the middle linebacker as the as like the brain guy, but I don't I don't think that holds true anymore. That's fair. The league has changed and maybe, you know, that comparison won't be necessarily the one, but it is still kind of cool that they're uh, college teammates, you know, what was it? Five of them went in the first round LSU players. So there's a lot of those guys who will be leading their teams that will be running into each other in the NFL. All right. So we, we got a note typed on the dock here that while Alec was talking that Kevin has a number one, that's not those two. So would you like to uh, say yours. Yeah, when when uh, Alex said he had a he had a one that he was surprised you didn't mention. I thought it was going to go this way, and mine's Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters versus Odell and Landry. I like after Marlon beat up on Odell, and then after the game, the second game against Cleveland, Landry and Odell were tweeting about how they or sorry that wasn't after the second game it was when peters got his contract extension they were tweeting out about that how they couldn't wait to play him that has all my interest i can't wait for that matchup yeah that's actually the one i was gonna say next yeah i think marlon humphrey gosh we already know how good that guy's been for the team i think what you have brewing with marlon and obj is is very similar to what we the Ravens had with Chris McAllister going up against Chad Johnson. Both those receivers are big trash talkers who put up big numbers, but the Ravens' uh, CB1 was able to shut them down and kind of bring them back down to earth. Yeah, that's going to be some interesting back and forth. Hopefully, Baker is more like he was in his rookie year going forward because while it be, you know, great if the, the Browns just imploded, uh, it's more fun when the teams are competitive, and I think Baker has the tools, and he certainly has the personnel, and if he's able to elevate his game, it's going to be some very tight matchups between that cornerback tandem and those receivers. So actually, I uh, had a very similar one to that on my list. I had Marcus Peters uh, versus OBJ and Landry just because they were talking shit when he got his uh, contract extension. Yeah, I guess the only thing we would have to worry about is his if Odell gets traded, because there's been whispers of that, then we don't get to see that matchup. Yeah, that's a thing to look at. Odell seems like he's more headspace of staying in Cleveland in the offseason than he was as the season spiraled out of control. That being said, you know, with some of these wide receivers, you never quite know when they're going to be a team guy or when they're going to demand a trade. That being said, I think if you look at it, the trope of the wide receiver or the stereotype of the of the prima donna wide receiver or always flipping teams, really, aside from Terrell Owens and Randy Moss, I know OBJ already demanded a trade from the Giants, but I, I don't think it happens quite as often as as the, some people will make it sound. So... I think it's possible that OBJ can can at least keep his head in Cleveland long enough for for that to become a rivalry of sort. So another one I got coming up is J.K. Dobbins versus Anthony McFarlane. Now, I recognize that Anthony McFarlane was drafted in the fourth round, uh, which is much less draft capital, and there's a little bit more of a 
interesting committee going on in Pittsburgh. But I think, you know, being the same draft class, I do think McFarland has some mobility. It'll be interesting to see those two guys kind of grow up together and, uh, and just, you know, maybe, uh, who knows if the Steelers are able to get a good running game going, that might be one of the big, you know, headlines like, Oh, the rushing attack of the Ravens versus the rushing attack of the Steelers who will prevail, you know, and, and, and crap like that, that they love hyping up before a game. Yeah. I, I think it would go back to, uh, that Ravens versus Pittsburgh smash mouth football that we're used to if you know both teams become uh really profound on the ground um but i like our guy i think uh i think we got a leg up on this so i I don't think it'll be as close as we're hoping it will be interesting though if if it does i mean yeah you bring up a great point alec if you think about the old raven steelers games of old you had jamal lewis versus jerome bettis and willie parker and then uh Ray Rice versus Richard Mendenhall and um, Le'Veon Bell. So we've discussed in the past that the Ravens-Steelers rivalry right now isn't quite what it used to be in the past. And one of the things that can help bring it back to those old days is both teams being having equals in running backs on the roster. So that'll, be, that'll definitely be interesting to see how that unfolds coming up. As a side note, so... You have them like dumping Connor, like just as a, a prediction, I guess. I think it's more that McFarland's younger, so he'll probably be around longer than Connor. I think I did voice my opinion on on Connor a couple episodes ago, where I've never been a big big fan and thought he was more a product of their offensive line than necessarily a guy you keep around for a while. But we'll see what happens. That's fair. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I think with the replaceability of the position, it would be more surprising to me than not to see, you know, Connor have a role for the next couple of years. I think he'll slowly fade out. Sounds good for my fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I was hoping to get into a dynasty league this year, and now uh, no dynasties. <laughs> I had L. Jackson, Devin Bush, but I feel like it's just a copy of Patrick Queen and Burrow, and I was trying to get the five. I don't like I don't like it that much. I kind of had one along those lines. It was uh, Lamar and Hollywood versus that uh, young safety tandem of Terrell Edmonds and Minka Fitzpatrick for the Steelers. You know, both those guys uh, that the Steelers have are, I mean, they have the best young safety tandem in the NFL, and those guys are only going into their third season this year. And Lamar's is obviously going to be on the team for a while and Hollywood is a is a rare talent you know having the guy who's that fast and shifty is a guy the Ravens are going to want to keep around for a bit so I can see those matchups you know being a lot coming forward and especially on on the deep ball seeing how Lamar and Hollywood uh, navigate that Steelers backfield uh, could make some for some exciting plays and it's still interesting to think that uh, we really don't know too much about Lamar versus the Steelers yet. He's still only had one start against the team in his first two years. So really just <laughs> looking forward to Lamar versus the Steelers. <laughs> That's crazy when you put it in per- perspective because you're like, oh, he's he started last year. He should have two games at least. But uh, he was so good that he didn't. we got to watch RG3 play. Is that wild? Yeah, I think there's just a lot of young talent, honestly, in the AFC North. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. When we were doing our projections episode of, hey, like, what's the 
outlook of these teams. And we were like, dang, it, everyone's on the ascendancy, it looks like. Um, and, you know, we could have a really competitive division if the right things happen. Um, I mean, maybe it's not right from a Ravens fan's perspective, but just, you know, if the team's built, um, if their build out works the way they're hoping, it, it, it could be very competitive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we just need to need to get this virus over with and just have an exciting decade of football. It'll be a lot of interesting and close games, good competition in the AFC North that'll prepare the the king of that division each year, hopefully the Ravens and likely the Ravens, to be able to be well-tuned up for deep postseason run. All right, guys. Well, thanks for sticking with us for this uh, kind of cathartic episode of Ravens Recap. And then we got to, you know, we got a little bit of uh, stroll down memory lane and looking into the future as well. Hopefully you're all staying safe out there. Please do wear a mask. Save the NFL season. I saw a great video from Pete Overzet and uh, Denny Carter, both, you know, being incredibly uh, patriotic and <laughs> wearing their masks. And they, they do a lot of these fancy Mensa parodies uh, that are sometimes a little uh, too ridiculous, but some of them are just straight up hilarious and uh i thought that was pretty funny wear a mask save the nfl season leave a review these are all uh that's the order priority though if you can't leave a review at least wear a mask that's all we ask and we'll see you next time boom